0: I'm Sarah Wilson and this is WILD, a show where we talk with the biggest minds in the world about the ideas that can help us love and save our one wild and precious life together on this planet. G'day, wild listeners. I hope you're enjoying your summer or your winter if you're on the other side of the planet. I've been taking a few weeks off from doing new recordings, but I have been sharing some of the most popular or my favorite episodes the last couple of weeks. And today I'm sharing with you a chat that I had with my meditation teacher, Tim Brown. Now, as it turns out, it is one of the most popular wild episodes ever. And what we talk about I guess, are a bunch of themes that I think are particularly pertinent for this time of year. They're very expansive ideas. They're very inspiring ways of viewing things. I think you might enjoy this one. Yep, Tim's a lot of things. He's taught more than 4,500 people to meditate over almost 20 years, including elite athletes, the Wallabies, Australian cricket team, inmates at Long Bay Jail, artists, billionaires and a lot of kids. He's also been my meditation teacher for the past 12 or 13 years and a constant in my life while I've moved around the world nomadically and restlessly as I wrote books, <laughs> quit jobs and businesses, lost babies, almost lost my life, and generally rode my, my roller coaster. He's also super real and it's been 12 years of guidance. I don't mm. have a priest. I have you. <laughs> um, and, and
1: I, you, by the way.
0: I quote Tim a fair bit in my books and about the place. You might recall he boldly asked me in First We Make the Beast Beautiful, Sarah, do you want to be right or to love? Lindsay, the producer here, tells me that was on page 120, I think. He also told me to make my journey in this one wild and precious life as much fun as I could because humans change when the new way of living is more enjoyable than the status quo. But Sarah, he said, you love this journey. You love the wildness that you've found. So show us how to find the charm. And Lindsay, I think that's page 104 for anyone looking. So I figured it would be really good to have him come here and chat on this podcast to drill down on one of his wild wisdoms. We catch up pretty much weekly, I guess, to have the kind of conversation you're going to hear today. We cry a bit. We wrestle with a few truths. And this time we do it in a radio station studio with Lindsay, the producer, sitting next to us, nodding her head as she does when we make a good point. I started by asking him how he remembers our first meeting.
1: I remember the day you crawled up the stairs in Paddington and, um, and you said to me, um, I've had three people tell me in the last 72 hours, also that I need to come and see you. And, uh, I don't believe in any of this meditation bullshit. Um, but I've been told three times in the last 72 hours. And, uh, when I hear something three times, I do something about it. So here I am. And, um, and you gave me the full work over, you know, you said you're a preppy looking this, that, and the other.
0: I said I had a prejudice against you. You
1: certainly did. <laughs> uh, and you didn't say it in that nicer terms, to be honest. Um, <laughs> um, but, and, and I, it made me laugh. And I think you were expecting pushback or something. And I laughed and, and we had a great old giggle about it. Um, but- I
0: think your exact words were, you just <laughs> looked at me squarely and you said, meditation
1: will help with that. (laughs) Or it might anyway. (laughs) Um, I think that might have been the case. And uh, I could just see how tired you were and how your nervous system was, you know, really under so much pressure. And, you know, your push out into the world to make a contribution was having such a taxing effect on you. And uh, so um, I remember uh, you said, I've got to go and do this job somewhere or other, and then I'll come back and then we'll do this thing. And, you know, once again, I don't believe in any of it, but I'm going to do it anyway. And I guess that's what I loved about you is that you were willing to step into the unknown and I think you came back and your car had been stolen and, you know, the job hadn't gone so well and there'd been a cyclone and a coup or something I'd or other. I'd gone
0: diving with <laughs> sharks on some island um, in the Solomon Islands and I got stranded, you're right. That's right. All three planes yeah. in the whole place went down and I was stranded on an island with people who were, having actually family, like actually
1: a coup. Yeah, yeah, and I, I remember you saying there was a coup. And uh, and I thought, um, and, and I remember you came back and I think your car had been stolen while you'd been away with that had all your worldly possessions in my it. My
0: surfboard and my bike yeah, in it, yeah.
1: yeah. And I remember you uh, saying to me, uh, you came in to learn to meditate and I said, and you said... Um, look, uh, I'm not sure about all of this, but just do whatever it is that you're going to do to me. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, that's a really good segue into yeah. the the one wild idea that I wanted to, to discuss with you. And there are so many wild ideas we've discussed over the last, really it's 12 years. Yeah. I think that was 12 years ago. Was it was it? right wow. at the point where I'd left my post at Cosmopolitan. Yeah. I'd got very, very sick. Mm. And it was shortly before I got to a point where, I was no longer able to walk and work and and everything was, that was the beginning of my stripping down. Yeah, yeah. And um, you entered my life at that point and you've been on the journey with me the whole way.
1: It's been amazing to watch.
0: I think very early on you shared a One Wild idea with me which I've been challenged by ever since. And I use it as part of my phraseology about the place. Mm. You know, it's almost become part of my my whole psyche mm. and I want to break it down with you because sure. there's so many aspects to it. And I think people listening would really enjoy it. And that is, you said to me once, Sarah, this is in the context of get your filthy mitts off it, yes, which is another yeah. thing that you say to me often. Yes. Your white knuckled grip, take yeah, it away. Yeah. Um, you said to me, to be rendered choiceless yeah. is the ultimate freedom. Yes. And it took me quite some time for that to settle in. Can you explain it in your words?
1: Yeah, I think that original idea was, you know, part of the instruction around meditation, which was, you know, moving away from control. Um, you know, rather than controlling all aspects is, is giving permission or allowing and that comes right back to that principle of trust. You know, we've got to trust the process and inside of meditation, what we're doing is delegating, you know, to that intelligence in the mind and body that's structuring and organizing 6 trillion things per second, um, to allow a process to unfold. And, um, and that's where we kind of came across that idea of, you know, get your filthy little mitts off it because, you know, that amazing Sarah intellect was always deeply involved in trying to structure and organize and control all variables. Um, and so with meditation, one of the ideas is, is giving permission to uh, and allowing a process to unfold. Um, and that, that has a principle in behind it, which is that principle of trusting rather than doubting. As soon as we move into that, into that, down that path of doubt, then very quickly we move into controlling or attempting to control all variables. And that really is a path to suffering and and in so many ways.
0: It really does require, and this is something that you said to me quite recently, is it requires a choice to trust. Yes, yeah. You've got to choose to trust. Yes. And I think this is something that you've been exploring with a lot of your Clients, yeah. I don't like using yeah. the word clients, it's sort of almost your congregation yeah, yeah, or yeah. I don't know, your crew
1: community, yeah, the community yeah, that come yeah. to
0: you seeking guidance, and there's a lot of pain out there, yeah. How's that choosing to trust um, lesson uh, relevant right now? Why do you think it's
1: important, even more so? Where I think where all the visual and all the information that's coming, there's so much disturbance, and shift, and movement, and paradigm changing it's so easy to kind of get into that mode that everything's, you know, we can get into that kind of henny penny, you know, the sky's falling, the sky's falling, the sky's falling. Um, and and I think this is the time that it's even more important to uh, to choose to trust. And I like using the phraseology, you know, run an experiment of choosing to trust, mm. you know, just run an experiment, see, give it a go and see what happens. Um, and I think that's, you know, that takes some real courage and bravery
0: but it's also really playful. It is, isn't it? Because you've yeah. used that with me so many times and another way that you say it, and I'm going to bring in all your yeah. little lessons as we go along. We're going to layer this up a fair bit. It'll good,
1: be good for me to hear this. It's always good to hear what I've said to people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Revisit it. Yeah. yeah.
0: Um, you have a, you, you say, let's see. Yeah. And I actually even remember the, the space I was in when you told me this. Sarah, let's see. Let us see. Yes. Us being you, me and the whole flow of life. Yes. Let's see what happens if we run this experiment. That's right.
1: So it's, choo- you know, and then that experiment is choosing to trust when we could choose to doubt, you know, uh, and, and, and being a willing participant in running that experiment and then let's see what unfolds. The intellect's constantly seeking evidence. Um, but if we continue to run the doubt the doubt model, that the doubt experiment, it's an experiment as well, it's an application. You know, let's see what happens when you run that. Um, and what we find is that we 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 can find that we're running that all the time. We don't actually realize that we're doing it. Um, and, and again, when you think about that doubt experiment, when you run down that path, it, it's just into chaos and anarchy and all kinds of, you know, horrible, you know, uh, kind of an experience. We choose to trust that there is intelligence in play, always willing to admit that we can't see it. Uh, you know, I'm willing to do that every single day. It's like, how on earth can there be intelligence in this? But you know what? I'm going to run the experiment of choosing to trust. And if we can keep the camera rolling on this whole thing.
0: Mm -hmm. Another one of your (laughs) things.
1: One of my my favorites. Let's keep the camera rolling here. Choose to trust. Run the experiment. Uh, Let's see how this unfolds. Keep the camera rolling. And ultimately, we see that, in fact, the story, uh, there's, there's intelligence. There's a thread through this. And the thread ultimately is evolution. You know, uh, but it's not a linear, you know, it's not A to B linear. There's all these twists and turns and movements.
0: It reminds me of Steve Jobs' commencement address that Mm. he did, I think, sometime in the 90s. And he um, referred to the idea of sometimes you've just got to have sheer years on the planet to be able to turn around and see where all those random dots connect up. That's it there's probably some of us listening to this mm. going, I'd like a tangible example. And yeah. you speak to so many people. I think you've, you've instructed thousands yeah, of yeah. people to meditate, but then even more in terms of the counsel that you've provided in mm. jails, mm. schools, yeah. uh, sporting teams. Mm. Have you got some examples of somebody who's done that trust exercise and, and just to show how it pans out when you leap like
1: that? Yeah. Oh, I, just, I mean, I think you're a great example. I mean, you know, back to the Master Chef days, right down. Remember oh, yeah. back in the beginning there, and you know, I remember you. Um, you know, you're inside of that environment, and it was, uh, you know, it was that first kind of visual step for you out after you know having a pretty rough time and all of the challenges that came around that. Um, and
0: are you referring to that moment where I had a big, massive—I'd <laughs> say—meltdown, but it was an explosion.
1: Well, even, I mean, even going back another, you know, your, you know, your health issues, you know, and, and the challenges that have come, look what's come out of that for both you and so many other people. You know, if, if we snapshot and go disaster, you know, there's no intelligence in this, this is all wrong. Um, there, there's, there's no intelligence in this process whatsoever. We keep the camera rolling, we keep connecting the dots, we keep moving forward, you know, you use that analogy of the dot to dot. It's an analogy I use often. You know, what's the next dot? What's the next dot? You don't need to know what the thing is. Uh, remember as a kid, you know, being put in front of those dot to dot books, you didn't need to know what the picture was. You just needed to find dot one. And when you're at one, two wasn't far away, and then three. And do you remember that beautiful experience of not really thinking about what you're doing, just finding the next dot? Yeah. And that beautiful is it, is it a cat? Is it a dog? Is it, you know, do you remember that feeling? Yeah. That beautiful feeling. It's and, also
0: like hiking. Yes, you go around a corner, and I don't know where it's all going to end up, but yeah, on the way, yes, there's the anticipation, but there's also the enjoyment of one step in front of the
1: other that's the beautiful thing, mm. and we're coming back to that principle of choicelessness as well, you know, which is you know there's only one dot you know that's the next ultimate dot, and what we've got to work out how to do is to be able to access what that next one dot is. you know the experience where uh, and again, to stretch that analogy, I use is where um, if the dots have all got numbers on them then joining the dots is a is is a delightful experience if all the numbers drop off the dots and then you're told to start to you know to to join those dots then that whole thing becomes a very confusing and ambiguous kind of process chaos, chaos. and you can join all the dots but what comes of it and I think what we're looking to be able to do is to identify what that next dot is mm-hmm. um, and from you know the philosophy in behind what I teach the The idea is that there is only one supremely evolutionary thing to be doing in any given moment. There's one ultimate dot. The question is, can we pick up what that one dot is? Um, And that's what we're really looking to be able to do is to cultivate a neurophysiological state, a mind-body state that can identify what that next dot is. Otherwise, you know, there's all the dots, there's all kinds of possibilities. It's been advocated that choice is wonderful. Choice is a nightmare. Yeah. Let's be honest.
0: The science now (laughs) shows that, you know, it's the ultimate paradox. Yeah choice actually confounds to a point where we can't decide any further. Brings
1: anxiety and, mm-hmm. and, and, um, and we can become catatonic through choice. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, what we're looking to be able to do is to identify what that next dot is. And if we can identify what that is, then the whole process becomes a delightful one and we don't need to know. We can trust that there's, there's this thing unfolding. We don't know what it is. We can't see where it's going, but we can be devoted and enthusiastic to that process.
0: You talk about the fact that the universe has a logic, a, yeah. a, a, an intelligence, you say. Yes. And that's hard to fathom. There is, as I say, a side of us that knows it to be mm. true, yes. right? And it's a beautiful feeling deep inside of us. Mm. And when we hear people like you talk about it in a way, it, it – it, it, it provides this recognition, right? Yeah. It, it brings it to the surface and we go, oh, my God, I'm loving the fact that it's been put into words. There's yeah. this recognition and it feels safe and it feels there's this beautiful congruence. Can I get you to extrapolate it further and yeah. use the example of my various tortured um, forays into television and and or whatever, if you need to, or if you've got a better example, please do, but just ways that maybe where somebody has... Chosen to trust that universal intelligence, yes yeah. and, and I, it's worked out, yeah. as it needed to, yeah.
1: And I think you are a perfect example of you know that you know you're you're a foray into um you know into Cosmo and all of those things, and then you know that kind of finished up, and then that led into you know the Master Chef, which you know, and your health challenges, which led and into. I had no
0: idea what it was about. Exactly right? Exactly right. I'd go because well, yeah. Kerri-Ann Kennelly rang me the day after I tried to kill myself. <clears throat> And I was getting acupuncture to try to stimulate my ovaries because I'd been told I was infertile. And she rang me and said, could you fill in for me on television? And that's where it all started yeah, from. Yeah. I think I probably rang you straight after yeah. going, oh, Tim, what's this about?
1: <laughs> and so, you know, we know, we can see that it's happening. It's happening all of the time. The question is can we, you know, can we engage with that and and rather than resisting that process, it's happening anyway. You know, the the question is, can we go with that process? One of my favourite movies of all time is Groundhog Day. You know, Mm. I I mean, I talk about this movie every day of the week. You know, there's the Bill Murray character, you know, reluctant, recalcitrant, resistant. He's an absolute pain in the ass, that guy. Filthy
0: mitts on everything. Oh,
1: God, he's all over it. And, uh, And he doesn't want to be there and he gets locked in that same experience again and again and again. You know, he ends up jumping off the bell tower, you know, wakes up the same morning, you know. Mm-hmm. I got you babes on the on the radio once again and he goes through that process and 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 it, he's caught in that loop it is hell on earth mm. until something shifts and it's got nothing to do with anything outside of him it's got to do some, with something inside of him and of course it's about getting the girl it's about love ultimately mm. isn't it yeah. um uh, but he starts to realize he can kind of see what's going on mm. and all of a sudden he starts kind of running the experiment of trusting that there's intelligence in this process. And he starts to kind of gently, not he just doesn't turn the lights on the whole thing. He gently starts to run the experiment of engaging willingly in that process. And it didn't all turn around in, in the next day. It was a gradual process where he continued to run that process of choosing to trust, engaging willingly in the process. And the whole experience started to change. It went from hell on earth to heaven on earth, a, a, a playground for him. Mm. And he was popping out of bed in the morning, jumping up, you know, saying hello to everybody, you know, pulling the Heimlich on the guy in the kitchen, yeah. you know, catching the kid out <laughs> of the tree. this movie a few <laughs> times. Yeah. Helping the old <laughs> girls with it. He ends up speaking French. By the end of it, he is just having a ball mm. and nothing outside of him changed. And I think this is really, I guess, what I've tried to break down into that, um, you know, nice philosophical kind of idea, but how do you break that down into a very practical action-based thing for me in all my reading. That's my next
0: question. I I think, you know, when you're rendered choiceless, it's the ultimate freedom. So can we, do we go out and try to render ourselves choiceless, get rid of all the choices, or is it about just joining life as assuming, or is it a bit of both? Because you know that I have a fundamental issue with Mm -hmm. being passive. Yes. I feel that there's got to be this also engagement at the same time. Yeah. If you could sort of explain that aspect of things. Yeah, I think, I
1: think, you know, choosing to trust that there is intelligence, you know, it's running and, and just running that experiment. Don't, don't, you don't have to believe it. It's just about running an experiment. There's something about That's that terminology. One. Yeah, just decide to run an experiment of choosing to trust and see what happens. Uh, and I do it all day. You know, I get caught behind a car and I've got a fiery temperament. You know, I'm like, oh, you know, can't this person, you know, I can f- see myself kick in. And it's like, well, what I'm doing here is choose, I'm actually choosing to doubt that there's intelligence in this. Inevitably, if I choose to trust, I relax, enjoy. Inevitably, I see that that slowed me down, that got me to, you know, to that corner at that point that there's the friend across the road, you know, and the synchronicity and the serendipity and the flow of experience kicks off. And that's where that real joy and, and we start to see that intelligence in play and that we're a part of it. Otherwise, we choose to doubt, we resist, resent, we push, we shove, we try and control, we get in the way. The whole thing's, you know, to use one of your favorite terms, a clusterfuck. It's mm-hmm. um, <laughs> one of yeah. my favorite <laughs> words of yours, you know, and then there's no intelligence in the universe and we can't trust it. We've got to control it. and We get stuck in that model.
0: Oh, it's boring.
1: Yeah. And I think it's also a very, you know, um, in, a, in the truest sense of the word, a very masculine. We've been running this very masculine head-based model. And one of the great, you know, shifts that's taking place is this rise of the feminine. And we've all got the masculine and feminine. They're Mm. aspects of ourselves. And one of the great themes of this age is the rise of the feminine, which is the heart, which is is intuition, which is engagement with a broader intelligence. Uh, That's what this is all about. But we've been running this very, very masculine head-based model. And it's not about getting rid of that. It's about bringing those two things together.
0: Yeah, the um, and sweet
1: spot. The sweet spot. It's all about the sweet spot and about getting that heart and head working together. Um, but to do that, we've got to invite that in. And and for me, that revolves really around this principle of choosing to trust.
0: That's the action, isn't it? It is. It's not a passive thing where you go, "Hey, I'm not going to really care. I'm going to be the flotsam floating around, letting the tides take me wherever." And that is not the answer. No, it's not. It's a deliberate choice. It's really interesting as you talk about this, and it's always been the case, It's, it, I feel it resonating in my heart space, you know, and mm. I can feel my heart responding mm. and relaxing into that knowledge. Yeah. And it's an alien feeling for many of us. But, again, that's, I think, something... That we need to trust.
1: Yeah, I think that is. I think that is the thing of this age. We've got to choose to trust, and things are moving so quickly. Um, you know, and, and we're we're seeing that on all levels. You know, things that the dynamics. I was watching a TED talk not that long ago. It's one of the world's leading neuroscientists saying someone uh, living in a city anywhere in the world in 2020 21 is being exposed to the same levels of stimulation in one day that someone 200 years ago would have been exposed to in their whole lifetime.
0: Yeah. You know,
1: change cycles are just moving so quickly. Um, you know, the human brain and nervous system is being challenged by that. You know, how do we work out how to operate inside of this paradigm without being completely overwhelmed and consumed and you know, mentally, physically and emotionally compacted and compressed through this process? That's the real challenge of this age. Um, for me, that I think that, you know, it keeps coming back to that idea of, of you know, we've got to choose to trust that there's intelligence. We've got to find that beautiful sweet spot between making our individual contribution and allowing that intelligence the, um, that we're connected to in all kinds of ways to play. And that's the beautiful dance. It's what we call the lila. Lila means the dance.
0: Yeah.
1: And it's about finding. The
0: Vedic term.
1: Mm-hmm. term, you know, it's that dance of making our contribution, not overdoing it, not underdoing it. You know, it's, it's just right, that Goldilocks phenomenon. And I think that is the constant challenge I find in my life every single day in every relationship that I have. Where's that sweet spot? And, you know, if I'm all stressed and tired and mentally constricted, the ability to find that is, is so difficult and compromised.
0: And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. What are some of the things that people can do yeah. to to access this in? better and more refined ways in their lives because, gosh, we need it right now. I mean, yeah. we're talking at such an interesting juncture in history.
1: Oh, it's incredible. We
0: yeah. need to be sharing this kind of information.
1: Yeah, and I think, um, you know, I think that's what I love about your book and the way that, you know, you've found, you know, one of your really deep ways is to immerse yourself in nature. I mean, I love immersing myself in salt water, you know, complete immersion in, in, in nature and I think what that does is it's that principle of sympathetic vibration, you know, which is you you immerse yourself in nature and, and you realign yourself. Just mm-hmm. like you put a piano in one corner of a room and put a guitar on the other side of the room, you hit the C on the on the on the piano and the C C chord, the C string on the guitar on the other side of the room will will vibrate.
0: So music is another way. I mean, not everybody Absolutely. has access to the ocean or Yeah maybe being able to get into nature especially at the moment because yeah. lockdowns are just coming and going all absolutely. over the place. So I think music's a really good example.
1: Absolutely. You know and I think creation
0: um, of any sort by other humans
1: absolutely, absolutely is, is a creative process is is going to be immersion. You know we talk about nature being you know outside and trees and stuff but in fact there is only one nature. There is that's really the thing. Quantum field physics is talking about the one whole indivisible conscious field expressing itself in infinite diversity mm. while maintaining its unified nature at all times. This is the statement of unified field theorem, quantum field physics. Yeah. There is only actually one thing. There's not nature in us. There's nature. There's there's this mm. one field, right? And I think, um, you know, that's it's the, –
0: That's the universal intelligence you keep coming back that's
1: to. That's it. That's the uni, one verse, song, one song.
0: Yeah.
1: That's the one nice. thing. And this whole idea that there are two things – That whole theory is completely falling apart, that there are two things. There's only one thing. And so I think back to your question, how do we get immersion into that? That's really the great question. Mm. And I think, you know, you do it with your hiking. It really activates that within you. Um, I get people all the time. They'll say, I I get that when I paint or I surf or I uh, play music or – and, of course, meditation is learning how to immerse oneself to move beyond individuality into universality. To, to really settle the mind, relax the body, expand and open consciousness. And we've seen an, an explosion in the interest in that in the last 20 years. Um, when I started teaching 20 years ago, um, you know, my background, this was not on my radar. I was a rugby-playing, no. beer-drinking agricultural economist um, <laughs> 20 years ago. Um, you know, country boy, all of those, this was not on my radar. Mm.
0: Um, Hence... My prejudices when <laughs> yeah. I arrived to, to meet you—perfectly you. <laughs> legitimate,
1: um, <laughs> well-founded. <Yeah. laughs> um, we've seen in the last even the seven last seven or eight years, nine years—we've seen the you know the, um, calm headspace, insight timer, um, smiling minds—all these things. This is just pushing its way into the collective consciousness. Uh, when I first started teaching twenty years ago, I'd go to a birthday party or a dinner party, you know. Someone would say, "What do you do for a living?" I'd say, "I teach meditation." They pick up their drink and walk up the other end of the bar. It's
0: like saying you are a superannuation consultant <laughs> yeah,
1: or something. That's <laughs> yeah, that's right. And uh, you know, now you know this is just becoming part of general parlance. What is it? It's about you know, it's about it's about immersing ourselves in our own broader nature. That's what. That's ultimately what meditation is.
0: Tim, where? I mean, you are talking to people. Oh, daily, hourly, um, it's, I know it exhausts you and I know that things are speeding up.
1: Mm.
0: How would you describe where humans, our our pain point Mm. is at? Where is our pain point? Because I think it really helps to know that we're not alone. Yeah. Could you describe it so that we can have some recognition?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, you know, what I, I mean, I sat with people, I sat with some people yesterday that have just been through the most extraordinary experience, you know, uh, Um, A son, a 15-year-old son, you know, dropping dead, you know, Mm. right in front of them. Mm. Um, No signs, Mm
0: -hmm. you know,
1: um, to see what humanity can experience.
0: Yeah.
1: um, And weather and the resilience of it, it, it's just extraordinary. Um, And and not even at that level, like just people – being in this world and the dynamics mm. and the movement and the change. I mean, when I left, you know, university 25 years ago, none of us had an email address. No one had a mobile phone. I ended up living in Uzbekistan growing cotton for three years mm-hmm. for whatever some strange reason, but, you know, an amazing experience <laughs> I ended up following having. Following it's dots. Yeah, following charm fearlessly. And that's yeah. where I ended up. Yeah. Um, you know, that was 25 years ago, 20, 25 years, you know, the internet has arrived, you know. Uh, mobile phones, computers. I mean, you know, the world. And and you know, I was watching a bit of Elon Musk yesterday. You know, the talk about AI and where that's yeah. all going. And I mean, things are just moving so quickly. Uh, it amazes me how people, you know, get out of bed in the morning and move into their lives. I mean, I was walking around the street here in Goulburn Street just looking at people thinking that person made a decision to get out of bed this morning and mm. put some clothes on. And, you know, and and uh, and goodness knows what's happening in how their life. How
0: does that life. make you feel when you have those expansive moments of yeah. seeing humans? Because oh. you can see their pain, right? Oh,
1: I can see. You can see that whole thing and, I mean, wonderment, you know, of of how – you know, people do get out of bed and get into their lives and move. And the young lady that served me, you know, my coffee this morning, I was like, "What's going on in her life?" You mm-hmm. know, and and she smiled and and gave me made me my coffee. I thought and tried her best try, and did her best. I mean, there's a, it's amazing what humanity mm-hmm. is doing, um, and what humans will do. And and mm. and
0: is there a way that you can sum up where our collective pain is at right in this moment?
1: I think. I, uh, my, my distillation of it is that I think f- for the last couple of thousand years, we have been so enmeshed in, in relativity, in the outside material world. We have been so outwardly ex- externally orientated. Um, and I think, I think, uh, my humble opinion is that I think we are being pushed into and, and we're being moved towards being rendered choiceless. Uh, about exploring other realms, and those realms are, you know, the the, the not physical manifest realms. I think we're being um, asked to look within, and I think when we look at history, um, we see that when humanity got to levels mm-hmm. of, you know, collective discomfort and pain, um, which generally came from over uh, engagement, over expectation, in the relative world, material world. Great teachers turned up and they've all said exactly the same thing. Um, I'm here to remind you. Essentially, they've said the same thing. I'm here to remind you that which you truly seek, what it is that you're really after is within you. Stop looking outside. And I think we are getting to that level. I see my, my interpretation is that we've been so externally orientated and so fascinated on the external. And we don't want to get rid of that. It's not about getting rid of it. It's not about desecrating that. It's not about disengaging from that. But we have to start to look within ourselves for, you know, for something that is quiet, that is still, that is unbounded, that is stable, that is secure, because they are things that every human desires. They are fundamental desires that must be satiated. And if we're looking in the outside world for those things, stability, security, non-change, uh, you know, uh, you know, contentment, peace. Then we are the looking. A we are looking in the wrong place, because this outside world is proving itself to be changing and it's moving more quickly. It, it's it's unstable. It's all of those things, and that's mm. what it is.
0: We talk about this a bit, Tim. Um, we often get together maybe mm. weekly yeah. to talk through this stuff. Yeah. In part, it's a psychology session for the two of us. Mm. Bring each other down from the ceiling or yeah. from the, the edge of the cliff, um, and I, I think I that, really
1: value those conversations. By the mm, way, me Sarah. too. Yeah,
0: me too. And it's been twelve years of guidance. I don't mm. have a priest; I have you. Um, <laughs> and and
1: I, you. By the way, you oh, know, let's make you. let's make very clear that's a reciprocal experience.
0: Yeah, we we have contrasting mm. perspectives, yeah. but we tend to land in a similar spot. Mm. But I I think it's the beauty and the comfort, if I can put it this way. In what you're talking about here, which is the reality, mm-hmm. is that life is taking us to the place we've always wanted to go to, which yeah. is that rendering of choice That's of right. choice. Yeah, many people out there. The pain point is is that they say this doesn't make sense. Yes. I'm so uncomfortable with this. It must be wrong. That's right. And the big, beautiful, simple, elegant lesson is that actually, no, it's so much. Better than that. It's, yes. It's exactly where we need to be and it's going to take us to where not only do we need to go to to feel peace. Yeah. But then it enables us to then take that centeredness and yes. truth out into the world. And you know that that's the big caveat that I add to everything yeah. is, yep, yep, let's get centred and true and peaceful and then come down from the mountain and help and be of service. That's right. We have to have these conversations mm. to remind ourselves, you know, you and I do it, we lose track and we yeah. have to sort of have these conversations regularly to go, oh, remember, That's this it. all makes sense. That's it. And, and it's actually easier than we kind of are thinking about this. Yeah, you know, mo-
1: you know Mother Nature says come willingly or mm-hmm. come in cuffs. How do you How do you want to do this? But you're coming. and uh, Again,
0: it's that <laughs> deliberate choice, choose to trust. What's
1: the big theme? Everything is, evol- you know, the, the, the thing is everything must evolve. Mother Nature says to everything, you know, evolve. And we either do that willingly or we get rendered choiceless, you know, in an uncomfortable way. Uh, but, um, you know, the way I talk about it is Mother Nature, you know, she'll whisper in our ear. And mm-hmm. if we ignore that, she'll tap us on the shoulder. If we ignore that, she'll poke us in the chest. If we ignore that, she'll slap us across the face right up to what I call the cosmic kick up the Kyber. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, where you get bent over and you get that great big boot <laughs> up the bum, and you know, and and we get to choose. This is mm-hmm. where us humans get to choose where we engage with that process. Uh, you know, some
0: of us we have to go to that cosmic kick up the kaiba before we get the lesson, and then the there's next. There's nothing time, wrong with that. There's nothing wrong no. with it. I've I've had it many yeah. times, and hey, I I sit here to tell the story, and it's and I'm grateful for it when I yes. look back and join the dots. Yeah. I'm a stubborn, highly cerebral person. Mm, I wouldn't mm. have got the lesson any other way. I think
1: it's the whole point that we're here. I think it we, you know, but, you know, I think we it, it's right to take it to that limit to find out where that kick is and how much it hurts. And that motivates yeah. us to then go, you know, is is it possible to do this a more little artfully, earlier? <laughs> a little <laughs> more, more gracefully, more elegantly. <laughs> That's right. But That's so right. there's nothing wrong with that. And I think, you know, individually and collectively, um, you know, and again, um, it, it's just a good visual example at the moment. I mean, for instance, American politics, you know, we've seen that where, where it's gone. You know, what's, what's that come from? Apathy, you know. Oh, yeah, acedia. Yeah, mm-hmm. a great word. And, um, you, know, what that, you know, that's brought and it's brought a discomfort, you know, that's got people thinking and engaging and in ways that we've never, you know, we haven't seen for generations um, and not only in America, but us. I mean, I'm thinking, I look at that and then I bring that back home. How does that apply? How do those lessons apply mm. here? You know, how do we avert the danger, you know, that has or that um, event that's taken place there, those situations? How do we not repeat that? How can we be more vigilant? You know, the price of freedom is eternal vigilance, is the um, um, the saying of the Returned Services League. How do we become, you know, develop a consciousness so that, um That uh, you know these destructive events you know don't necessarily have to happen as often or as what deeply are you,
0: what are you doing to that effect at mm. a personal but also professional level yeah
1: um, I think you know what it drives back really back to me is um, you know i 've got to develop a conscious state that can be broad you know that can maintain its awareness, be artful um, to be able to engage in in my own personal Internal experience and with all the personal relationships that I have in a way that is connecting, is, um, is evolving, is growing, is all of those things. I think I really, I guess I work on that very individual level within my own self and then assisting other individuals to do that within their own lives is develop a conscious state that can be not hypervigilant. But to be aware and and to be conscious and to be artful, yeah. um, and I think that is what I feel you know meditation assists people to do is to to develop a conscious state that can maintain an open conscious state because I think in in our day in this day and age we are being mentally physically and emotionally impacted and compressed from all directions, and we 've got to work out the real challenge of this age is how how do we open and expand our conscious state, open our mental, physical, and emotional repertoire in a world that is compressing it. And therein lies the ultimate challenge because everything then comes out of that. I know when I get tired and stressed, you know, when I get compacted, you know, my relationship with myself and with my family and with work, everything just feels brittle and unpleasant and not fun or interesting or any of those things, I become an unwilling participant. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And I think we've got to work out how we can cultivate a conscious state where we can be in this whole great big experience, this incredible time in human history, and not be consumed and overwhelmed by it. Um, And I think that really is the level that I try and work on, is how do we, we, uh, you know, really maintain a conscious state that can sustainably operate that way because that's what the world desperately needs.
0: Um, I'm going to hit you with a really tough question Um, (laughs) and it's just been on my mind. I've been particularly sad and melancholy around Mm. it and, you know, I'm sure other people are feeling the same. If one of us is feeling this way, I'm sure others are as well. This is a question that I put to you and I put it to people in my book. What's left if we
1: lose it all? Mm. What, what loses it all? What what's losing it all?
0: The the world and and our existence, humanity is at a point yeah. where it might go one way or the other. Yeah, we know this definitely. Climate change, civil war stemming from political fragmentation, even yeah. a pandemic that rolls and rolls and rolls. Yes, and it might not even be death or extinction. It could be losing the life and the dreams that we expected and anticipated mm, mm. and took for granted. So that's what I mean by lose it all. Yeah, yeah. So, so what are we paired back to? I mean, yeah. Really, I'm asking, what, what's, what's it all paired back to for you?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it, I mean if you really want to go right to that outer edge. I, I mean, do. I, yeah. <laughs> well, I think the ultimate thing is that, you know, um, you know from, a, from con- a conscious point of view, um, that humanity isn't the only conscious thing. Um, you know, consciousness, nature—it will find a way forward. You know, and and mm. it will express itself in, you know, in all kinds of ways. You know, the human lifetime—what is it, eighty, hundred years, something like this? It's um, just a blink. You know, and mm-hmm. but we we our whole framing of time and and um, reality is based around our our lifetimes, um, which is just such a tiny little bit of time. You know, in the scheme mm. of things. Um, I was watching a thing on the Cosmos last, a, a thing on Netflix last night about the Cosmos, and it was like it's three hundred billion years old or something. I was like, you know, in the frame of a human lifetime, yeah. you know, it's we like, need to get over what are, ourselves. What are we talking about yeah. here? Right? I mean, I think in the you know nature and and nature's intelligence, you know, will find a way forward. It will ultimately, and and maybe that's shaking humanity off it, no, off the off this planet. Maybe mm-hmm. that's, but you know. Um, things will continue to evolve and find a way forward and find a way this, this intelligence, the universe will find its way forward in some way or form. I think the question then begs is, um, as a species, how do we increase the, the possibility that we might be a part of that and that we might be given the opportunity to experience that and witness it and be involved in it? For longer. Exactly. And how do we? the question is, how do we align ourselves with nature's intelligence? Um and and be a part of that and that's the
0: answer, isn't it? Yeah, it is.
1: It aligning is aligning
0: ourselves with nature's intelligence is probably going to well, it invariably necessarily will give us the best chance of that's getting right. to see this beautiful uh, existence unfold for longer. Unfold
1: for longer. In 1950, there were two billion humans on the planet. Um, it took 250,000 years to get to 2 billion humans. Mm-hmm. 70 years later, we're at 7.5 billion people and growing by the day. Um, if humanity keeps putting this expectation on the relative world, um, you know, to gain its stability, security, non-change, fulfilment, contentment, safety through relative acquisition, we're in trouble. And this planet can't do that. So the question is, what is it that's going to change that? And I think it's that's what's going to drive us into... Where do we find something that is stable, secure, non-changing, you know, content that's got um, all of those elements within? And I think the answer to that is it's, that's within us. And we need to start looking there for that, not outside, because if we don't have access to that and we've forgotten the art of that, really. Um, we will go to the outside world and attempt to achieve those things in the outside world. And the thing is, it's not because we're not focused enough. It's not because we're not trying hard enough that we haven't got those things. It's because it can't be done. This outside world is the realm of change.
0: Tim, that was a beautiful note to end things on. So with these wrap-up sessions, I like to highlight some actionables that my guest has planted with us. But with my chat with Tim, I think it could be fruitful to pose a bunch of questions to pause and answer for ourselves in our own time. They all peg from his wild advice, which was to run an experiment of choosing to trust and see what happens. You might like to hit pause after each one. So, the first one What is the intelligence, this one thing that Tim speaks of? Is it something that you just know or feel to be true? How does it feel to radically trust this intelligence, to accept it and to love it? How Do you already like to join this intelligence or this one thing? How do you already immerse in it in your life? And how can you just do more of it? Like I hike and Tim immerses in the ocean. Most of us experience music as something that attunes us to this uni, this universe, this uni one verse song, this one song. Now, to be rendered choiceless, what does that even mean? This one took me ages to work out, actually. It's, it's not being passive. It's an active willingness to move with life where it's going, I think. I like to use river metaphors a lot. It's getting in the canoe and moving down the river, but paying attention and steering things here and there, not getting tipped and helping out others who might be struggling in the rapids. A big, meaty part of this is accepting, actually, no, fully loving the discomfort that comes with this at times, of having to radically trust that where we are right now is necessary and even required. It's part of the dot-to-dot thing. Mostly, actually always, this discomfort is necessary to get us to wake up and to get more alive in our little canoes. Tim sat at traffic lights getting angry, and I think that was his example. And it was a reminder to keep the camera rolling, to observe how the the dots all join up. I reckon it's a really helpful exercise to choose a moment from recent history, like a month ago, that might have stressed or annoyed me, that made me want to control the situation with my white-knuckled grip, and to sit back and see how the dots in fact joined and worked out as it all had to. It's a beautiful process. And finally, have you watched Groundhog Day? Perhaps we should all watch it again. But until next time, keep running your experiment. Join life. Attune with nature. She's the best teacher in how to get truly wild.